Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am a nutrition and exercise physiology professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, power lifter, Highland Games athlete, run Lift for Hope, and strength field. Right on. And Fortress is not with us today. Uh, longtime listeners know that he's going to be in and out, um, you know, keeping Canadians safe from the bad guys. Uh, <laughs> news, though. Let's talk a, a bit about upcoming guests. Strength and Muscle Sport News. We don't often do this, but um, in May and June, uh, we've been setting up quite a few guests, really varied guests, actually. Um, let's start with Fred Hatfield. Yeah, so we got Fred. I dropped Fred a line, jeez, uh, Wednesday, I think it was, and he said he's more than happy to come on. He was willing to come on this weekend, but it was early in the morning, so uh, you know it just didn't work out for everybody's schedule. So I got to talk to him Wednesday and uh, set up another day, and we'll probably try and set it up for uh, – you know, as early as we can in May. Um, That'd be great, yeah. And then next weekend, uh, I'm in Canada, so we're going to record from up there. Um, a live q and got a seminar up there. It's with one of our Iron Radio listeners, Mark Oxer. Mm-hmm. So you'll see him on the page. And uh, then John Davies is coming up. John's always uh, fun. Opinionated, yeah, but smart guy. Yeah. Yep. Exactly, you know, and that's one of his things. He said, oh, I'd love to be on the show as long as I can be my normal, drab, opinionated self. And I was like, well, we'd ask nothing else. Absolutely. So, <laughs> and then uh, have a yoga practitioner coming on um, who is actually a power lifter as well. So um, that's good we're going to talk, you know, yep. mobility and, you know, how she uses it on power lifters and, and, and whatnot, where it can help that. Because um, a lot of people do, there's, there's mobility, there's stability. And, you know, where, where do we draw that line? Um, for athletes and things like that. It's interesting um, to get a, the opinion because she's also a lifter, you know. Yeah, and she'll admit to her, to you herself that she is actually, she's over mobile for the sport. Right. Um, but she has a love of both, so she has to kind of walk that line. Um, Understood. Things like that. And then Lonnie has some, some good guests. Yeah, well, uh, just a couple. Um, I asked Christine Bon Giovanni to be back on. She's the IFBB professional bodybuilder, and... Um, I'm on her mailing list, and she sends around stuff about – she does uh, workshops on how to pose, uh, common mistakes, and contest prep. And I thought, you know what? I mean, she is going to be ideal for this. First of all, she, she's very intelligent. If you can go listen yeah. to one of that uh, – the old episode, if you can find it with her. Um, great conversation and, you know, obviously lots of experience as a professional bodybuilder. I think the bodybuilder listeners of the show – will really eat that up, or even bodybuild, or uh, powerlifters who want to um, lean down and that sort of thing. So she's going to talk about contest preparation and posing and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then Jaya Dixit. Um, she was a significant poster on the old T-Nation forums. I'm not sure how much she's there now. She's Since then, she's got a master's degree. I believe it, it's, it's in a sociology-related field, but she's going to come on and, uh, so she again, fitness competitor, or at least you know fitness enthusiast, female lifter, and she's going to talk about photo blogging of food. She's very interested in what makes food perceived as healthy versus not healthy. And Phil, you and I both do a little bit of photo food blogging, yeah. with your food porn stuff. And I don't think we would fit into her category of always trying to show only the healthiest foods, at least not from a yeah, no. <laughs> leanness perspective. Yeah. But so you know that's a nice mix. We got men, women, bodybuilders, powerlifters, and that's all coming May and June. So that yeah, that'll be fun. And the, yeah, that last weekend in June or first weekend in June, we got a so we'll have two of them where we're on site, on location, taking questions from. From crowds, which will be fun too. We haven't done those yet, so right. I, I've, I've said it before. I think one of the best things about podcasts is event coverage, and this way, yeah. our listeners can get a glimpse of what it's like to actually be there for one of the yeah. workshops. Right on. So, yeah, those will be fun. And uh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, in other news, uh, I wanted to address a comment on our Facebook page, which we sort of use as our forums, uh, and it's about the old caffeine um, and creatine controversy. I think it's funny because as I was reading this today, 
just a little bit ago, I'm sipping coffee with creatine in it, right? So, And I know, Phil, you do yeah. that too. And I just want to offer a couple of thoughts about this. First off, and I think somebody made this comment, but coffee and tea, hot coffee and tea, they were the original delivery vehicle for creatine. Back at the Kent State Lab, probably 92 through 94, we were doing some of the first work with this stuff. I mean, right after Paul Greenhoff's work, um, and we used coffee and tea. And we got significant improvements in repeat explosive performance, you know. So, I mean, if it was a devastating effect of coffee, we we wouldn't have used it, you know, early on. We wouldn't have seen anything, and yet we did. Now, we used hot coffee and tea because the old creatine wasn't really micronized, and, you know, it was a little bit more crystalline, and it didn't dissolve very well unless you had something fairly hot. Uh, now, creatine does break down fairly quickly. You don't want to, you know, put it in scalding hot coffee and then let it sit on the counter for hours on end. That would not be good, but... Yeah. Um, for dissolving and everything, and it worked fine. So anyway, the comment was about a paper. It was actually a Belgian paper by Vandenberg and colleagues. It's um, I have it here in front of me. Caffeine counteracts the ergogenic action of muscle creatine loading. Um, this is one of those papers that have, has not seen a ton of replication, in my opinion. Um, and let's face it, one study is never a reason to change your practice. It's interesting that... They didn't find an effect uh, in that Belgian paper. Uh, some people have questioned that they actually didn't get a very large ergogenic effect compared to other studies. Uh, I don't know. You never know. There could be something that was overlooked. I mean, you know, research is a stepwise process. I mean, contraction-type matters, isometric versus dynamic kinds of, you know, contractions. When they dosed the last bit of caffeine, uh, and again, I didn't read that whole paper. I don't know, but these are all things that you have to think about. I mean, caffeine peaks in your blood at about 60 to 90 minutes um, after you ingest it. So when you use coffee, for example, it's always touchy. In the lab, I've, no, I've certainly noticed this. Like, when do you start the 60-minute or 90-minute clock? From when you first start drinking it or when you finish that big 16- or 20-ounce cup of coffee, you know? So mm -hmm. we would sort of start 90 minutes with the first sip and have them finish drinking it, you know, 60 minutes pre-lift, you know, at that last sip. But anyway, there's that to consider. Even the upper versus lower body, one of the things that we're finding is it looks like caffeine seems to preferentially affect upper body, at least as far as single explosive lifts. Um, we're not looking at repeat explosive performance or like Wingate, you know, cycle sprints or that kind of thing. Um, but that actually reminds me, there was a paper in 2011 by Lee and colleagues, uh, and I just found it. Here it is in front of me. Effective caffeine ingestion on creatine supplementation uh, and intermittent high-intensity sprint performance. So this is the European Journal of Applied Physiology, 2011. This, let me just cut to the chase. Quote, the mean and peak power observed in the creatine plus caffeine group were significantly higher than those in the control group or the creatine plus control group. So this is quite the opposite. This is showing yeah. that caffeine ingestion with creatine, you know, you get the ergogenic effect uh, that's actually superior. So again, I think there's differences in when they when they last dosed it. I mean, one thing yeah. you've got to be very careful with creatine, or I'm sorry, uh, caffeine research is if you people are habituated to it and you don't let them have any. So let's say you're looking at just the creatine group, you know, that's got the decaf coffee or whatever. You have to you just have to be careful because somebody who's habituated and you t remove their coffee, they're less than placebo. You know, yeah. I mean, they're actually, you know, headachey, pissed off at you, you know. <laughs> uh, so, again, these are all just things you've got to consider, and all of these studies are slightly different. Again, type of contraction, type of movement, dosing, uh, the amount used, um, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, and both the papers I'm discussing, they use a, a reasonable amount of caffeine, like a, I think it's a 5 or 6 milligram per kg dose of caffeine. So, um, And then there's the practical side. I know, Phil, you're going to agree don't take away my caffeine before heavy workouts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Creatine or not. Uh, I tend to take creatine either in my mid-workout drink or afterward um, yeah. because, you know, the, I'll put some extra carbs in there, and that helps with the absorption and whatnot. Um, some people say, oh, well, caffeine may interfere with creatine absorption or uptake in the muscle. Uh, but that doesn't seem likely because even in the paper, that Belgian paper, they showed similar increases, I think, in muscle creatine and phosphocreatine content. So I don't think it was blocking absorption in any way. Um, they're just protocol differences. Like I said, I think this boils down to the practical conclusion. 
don't let one study change the way you eat and lift. Wait for replication. Wait for a consensus, you know, in the literature. So, For sure. Uh, um, we had some other things on our uh, Facebook page. Yeah, one of them was, you know, it's that one that comes about all the time. It's the whole protein in 30 grams a day or 30 grams a meal um, came up. And can a body assimilate that? Um, yeah. And, you know, there were some good answers. You know, one guy came up, and he's like, well, if you just crunch the numbers, let's say you're supposed to get one one gram per pound. If you're a 200-pound guy, you know, you divide that by 30, and you're just going to have so many damn meals. <laughs> right. That it's, it's problematic. Well, I think so. And we've talked in the past about the idea of, uh, you know, bursting through thresholds with large protein intake on occasion and that sort of thing. I think it basically comes down to this. Mostly people pose that question by saying, is there a limit to the amount of protein I can digest and absorb at once? And although I suppose there is, that's not the issue. The issue is not how much you can digest and absorb. The issue is how much you can actually synthesize into muscle tissue. You know, yeah. so it's at the muscle level, not at so much the intestines level, I would argue. And that really comes down to stuff like anabolic hormones. You know, I mean, yeah. whether it's testosterone or growth hormone or the, the amount of androgen you know, receptors you have um, to respond or growth factors. You know, Chad was talking about mechano growth factor. There's insulin like growth factor, you know, IGF-1. Um, there's lots of things that come into play. Male versus female, trained versus untrained, 200-pound guy versus 120-pound guy. <laughs> exactly. What else is in um, the meal? You know, the carbs yeah. and other things. So, uh, yeah, it's not so much how much you can absorb. I would say don't worry about it. You know what I mean? I usually shoot to get about a gram per pound. I like it because it's easy math. It's almost certainly excess. And, you know, and if I only get, let's say, 20 or 30 grams in one meal, I might get 50 in the next. Who cares? Yeah. You know, yeah. just shoot. And I'll tell you, of all the things that I've worked with clients and myself, I think it's one of the best things you can do for body composition is just to try to count grams of protein. Because when you're filling up, and I mean clean grams of protein, not Big Macs, you know, but whenever you're full of chicken breasts and egg whites and cottage cheese and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. you're not full of sugar, basically, you know, yeah, or sure. other junk. It's limiting in itself right there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, the one I was thinking about from our boards was, was it a biceps tendons reattachment? Yeah, biceps tendon tear. Okay. And, uh, geez, I made a couple comments on that thing. I can't remember what his exact question is. Let me scroll down here and look. I know he tore it, and he was asking if anybody had uh, experience with it. And, sadly, I've had a lot of experience with it. I've torn all the ones you have, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and he was just wondering about how long it takes and, you know, is this a devastating injury, this and that. And from being through it, I mean, and seeing people go through other injuries, it's really common, a lot more than you'd think, and it's not that bad. Really, the worst part of it is the surgery. Um, The injury itself is darn near painless, at least for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, the worst part of the surgery is just being bound up and in a cast or a sling or whatever they put you in. I got to agree with that. Uh, At least, now, mine was on the tricep side. Yeah. So it was like the one big tendon running down to the olecranon and attaching there, whereas, you know, the biceps is different, you know. But same thing. I didn't didn't feel a ton of pain, you know. And the the biggest problem was the surgery and then trying to maintain the range of motion while it scars properly afterwards and all that, you know. And that was... uh, you know, he was wondering mainly about the time it takes to come back. And then somebody came on and he said he ruptured his last summer and he's six to eight months in. He's probably at 60%. And, you know, that's well behind what I did. Um, and I think it's just about being smart. You know, number one, like I told him, like Vaughn just said with his tricep, the first thing was you get out of that cast or sling and number one is get range of motion back. Yeah. And work real hard at that. Um after a couple of weeks, there, though, right? I mean, didn't you take a couple of weeks with just immobilization, or did you start moving? Yeah, no, yeah, they had me. They immobilized me because the kind of person I am, and they knew it. They put me in a cast. <laughs> they shut and the only reason down. they put me in a cast, I could not use it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and my wife on the second one, I was trying to get them not to give me a cast, and she made them <laughs> so, um, to, to immobilize me. But um, And I think it was two weeks in that. And from there, it was just... You know, I'd take a light band or whatever, and I'd just, I'm just straightening my arm. Um, or I'd even take a band and pull, let it lightly pull against my arm. 
Um, and then once that was back, I just worked on holding things. You know, I'd start it off with a dumbbell, and then I'd work up to like a 135 deadlift. And I'd pick it up and just stand there and let that arm relax and stretch out. Um, heck, the first one I was... I think I was like six or eight weeks out of a cast, and I did a strongman contest. See, you you were way more aggressive than I was. Now, maybe the tricep yeah. thing is different. I don't know. But I was yeah, stunned I at how quickly you were back at it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I hit like four weeks after that on the first tier, four weeks after that strongman competition, I hit my first 680-pound deadlift um, in, in a competition. So, I mean, it's it was, you know, I just, I played it smart. And with the bicep, I think it's more... It was just training my arm to stay straight because that tendon's not really under that much pressure if you relax the arm. Phil, let me ask you this. Along that line with the pressure, did you rupture both both times during deadlifting or was it something else? No, I've never heard anything deadlifting. It was both times on, well, and this is what people don't get. It's um, you generally when you blow a bicep, from, from talking to the doctors, it's not from – well, I could load up a bar with 700 pounds and attempt to curl it as hard as I can, and it's not going to blow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when you have a bent arm and it forcefully gets straightened by a super maximal load. That makes sense to me. Yeah, that they blow. Um, so the first time it was on Atlas stones, which you really you just can't have straight arms. Yeah. Um, you know you're gripping around an Atlas stone and it just popped. Um, and the next time I was playing with a tire, and it really pissed me off because I was just out here having fun oh. um, with the lightest tire we have. And, you know, on flip 20 or something like that, I wasn't paying attention, to, and I had a bent arm. And I went to flip the tire, and, I, you know, apparently I can't curl a 400-pound tire. Did you have prior biceps tendonitis or tendinosis? Or? On the left one, no. The second one, no. On the first one, I'd been hurting for two months. Mm-hmm. So, But, oddly enough, it was, it was referral pain, and it was all up in my shoulder. Okay. Um, so it was, at the, it was at the origin, not um, the other. Not the insertion where, where the problem was, right, yeah. Yes. So, um, but once that, it popped, it's like all my shoulder pain was gone. Um, so that's, you know, where I found out that was. But um, Hey, I know one of the questions was what type of surgery is best. Uh, yeah. You know what my thought is? Without understanding, I mean, I understand the anatomy, right? But as far as the way surgeons get creative, I had a surgeon get very creative with uh, my right ankle, actually, because yeah. I was having constant, you know, uh, injury with that. Um like inversion injury, but the point yeah. is, as a physiologist, I would always say go with the simplest, the least creative repair possible. Yeah, but th- I could be wrong with that, you know. Because on on the on the bicep, it's interesting because there's two different surgeries, and neither of them they're both popular. One's the one incision technique, which is what I got on the right arm, um, and the other's the two incision, which I got on the left arm, and I liked it much better. The healing time was faster, and I was able to. Regain. I had full uh, pronation and supination the day I got out of my. But gas. wasn't there wasn't there uh, uh, one of the techniques had something to do with altering the origin of it, like bypassing the shoulder joint in some way and attaching. Um, the problem with the one incision technique, it's easier and it's it's a bit safer because the two incision technique, there's a nerve there right by back there, and there's a small chance if they hit that nerve, you just don't get to use your hand anymore. Oh lord. Um, but they can t- attach it because it's it's. With the two incision techniques, only about a half-inch scar on the back side of the arm, by the elbow. Mm-hmm. But they can attach the tendon exactly where it was before. Um, on the one incision technique, they're kind of reaching, they're, they're cutting in the, 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 the joint of your elbow, I guess, on the inside of your arm. And they're reaching around to hook it up. Okay. Um, so they, they don't get it in the same spot. I lost a bunch of supination. Um, and it's just not coming back. Um, and it's a much bigger scar. Um, and the healing time, because that bigger scar was longer. Right. Um, and it's so, I really like the, uh, all the people I've seen with two incision techniques, it's not as ugly, and the healing time was faster. And they gained full range of motion, faster, and just all of it back. Right. So, it's, it's and it, but it really depends on the doctor. I mean, my second doctor liked the two incision technique. Um, but my first doctor liked the, the one. Well, you, you so made a comment about how he knew what you were like, and I think it's really important um, for that listener or really anybody who listens is that you've you got to make the doctor understand that you are either a powerlifter or a bodybuilder, and you are yes. not okay with 
a surgery that's going to interfere with that. I mean, they, yes. he actually, when, when my triceps tendon ruptured, I, I've talked about this on the show before, you know, the, the ER doc sent me home with ibuprofen. I said, you know, you don't understand, so I'm going to write to my friend who's a surgeon, you know. Yes. Uh, but the point is, he knew we had about two weeks. He goes, Lonnie, you know, if, if you weren't interested in bodybuilding and lifting, uh, we would just let that scar down. You'd have 80% function. Yep. And I was yeah, horrified. Exactly. Like, he looked at me, he said it, like, very matter-of-factly, you know, oh, well, you'll have 80% yeah. function. I'm like, I was aghast. No. Yes. No. Yeah. And that's the same thing with the bicep. I mean, you don't need both heads. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, you know, if you were in your 50s, we just let it scar up and you'd be fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my second doctor was an athlete. And he was much more understanding. Um, and he knew I was going to push this thing again. I, you know, I was open with him about my rehab and stuff like that, what I was going to do. And he's like, that's fine. You know, he shot me straight. Okay, you can lift this much. You know, and I tell them what I was doing. You know what, too? They'll, they tend to give you a little more respect, too, when, when you have an intelligent conversation with them. I, yes. I remember um, my, my doctor, I'll just call Bill, he said, um, you know, Lonnie, I don't want a physical therapist cranking on your elbow. He said, you have a Ph.D. in exercise physiology, for God's sake. You know what you can and can't do. You know, yeah. small, you know, a few percent increments, you know, every week and, you know, maintain that range of motion. And I did go through some physical therapy with it, but... Um, you know, the, a little bit of respect there that he understands that you're not going to be an idiot. But, again, you've got to share that. You know, what are your goals? Who are you? And hopefully he's listening to you exactly. and not talking down to you. You know, don't go in and lie to your doctor and say, no, I don't lift this and that. Tell him what you're going to do. Tell him what you want to do. If he doesn't like it, find another doctor. Um, I don't know why people don't do that with doctors. They think, you know, well, this is the only one i got to do what he says. You know, you're their client. If you don't like what they're saying, there's... 500 that other ones great out. advice. Fire him. You know, the, the first doctor, both both times, my biceps and my right ankle, um, I was misdiagnosed. The first time, mm -hmm. the guy said, here's some Dynabands. Go home mm -hmm. and, and work on your stability. I'm like, fired. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> I'm in charge. You know, it's, I'm going back. Exactly. And I went to, a, again, I went, and, uh, not a family practitioner, nothing against them, but I wanted to go to a specialist. And he's, a, he's like, Lonnie, this is going to keep reoccurring. You know, they didn't MRI, you know, they, they ran some all the necessary imaging. And he's like, you know, this is just going to keep reoccurring. You're going to keep blowing out your ankle three, four times a month forever yeah. until the joint capsule is so scarred, you know, it's going to be painful and unusable. So, yeah. you know, like I said, the first guy I, I disagreed, I fired him. Yeah, you know, exactly. I had the same problem with one of my clients right now. Um, she's arguably our best lifter on the team, and she has a degenerative disc issue. And she went to a doctor and said, well, you're done. You can't, you'll never deadlift again, this and that, and this and that. And I finally got her to go to another guy who's, who specializes in, with, with athletes. He, he works with the KU um, football team, basketball team, and stuff like that. And he said, well, whoever told you you can never deadlift again is an idiot. He said, my job as your doctor is to, to get you back exactly. home. Exactly. That's, ex that's what I was, <laughs> yep, same thing. He, no. was a, he was the doc for a big university in this area. And yeah. a lot of, luckily, a lot of orthopedic surgeons are sports med. Yes. You know, so it's not hard to, and, and they're going to understand that you're not an 80 year old woman who just want you you know have that rupture just scar down. You know. Yeah. So. Well, I mean that's I mean I was even floored when the guy told me if I was 50 he wouldn't even attach it. I was like, well, I plan to be lifting still at 50. You know, so I'd make you attach. That's it. right. You know, if I, if I you know so yeah. Who said? Um, I think it was Ben Franklin said. Um, what did he say? He said a lot of people. Too many people die at 25 but aren't buried mm -hmm. until they're 75. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of thing. You know, hey, I'm not done after I'm 25. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that type of thing. I mean, it, if you don't like what the doctor says, but, you know, giving the guy a time frame, if I shop for a time frame to tell him it's realistic, three months and you should be at 80 to 90 percent. I mean, in my opinion, because, I mean, I did it much quicker than that, 12 weeks. But it's just be smart. Push the envelope a bit. Get lots of reps in. But listen, if something hurts, don't do it, you know, and be very smart and incremental about it. Right on. Yeah. You know, I added 50 pounds a week, and I did things like holds. Don't go in there and expect to do a bunch of curls with heavy weight. Um, the number one job you need to do as a, as a lifter really is just hang on to stuff most of the time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, slowly, the one I had to watch out with was pull-ups. You know, there's a lot of tension on that bicep tendon. So, I mean, it's easing to things like that. Do some freaking pull-downs with 50 pounds for a while. Get a lot of blood flow. I mean, one of the big things to your tendons, why they pop, is the muscles get a lot stronger and faster than tendons do. Yes, so, right. repping things out, there's not a lot of blood flow. A long time, they didn't think there was any blood flow to tendons. But now they found out there is. 
Get a lot of reps in. Get some blood flow. Let that tendon heal up. Um, keep your fish oils in and, you know, That's stuff right. like that. Yeah, vitamin C I, for soft tissue repair, yeah. can't hurt, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Eat well. I mean, don't go and try and lose weight. Well, I, I don't know why people do that. They're, well, I'm going to surgery, so I'm going to cut. Well, it's the worst freaking time to cut it all. You bet. You're not going to train like you used You to. bet. I mean, yeah. as a dietitian, I'm telling you, I've worked with people. You know, it's classic, right? Post-surgery, you have elevated, like, metabolic rate from, from the yeah. injury response. Eat. Feed it, you know. Yep. Hey, I have one more so thing. To get people to maintain weight. And, you bet. Yeah. yeah, maintain, absolutely. Um, before we go to break, and everyone, our topic of the day is just going to be some gym talk. Uh, Phil and I are doing stuff in the gym, and we're just going to get back to the roots a little bit. Uh, we have guests you know, that swing the pendulum from science to practice mm-hmm. and back and forth, but just some gym talk for our topic. But before I do that, this is a quick study, uh, 2013 paper from the Nutrition Journal. And I thought this was interesting. Consumption of low-fat dairy foods for six months improves insulin resistance without adversely affecting lipids or body weight in healthy adults. A randomized free-living crossover study. This is by Rideout and colleagues. I like this on several levels. A, it's six months. It's a good long period that you can get some solid you know, um, outcomes. Um, two, it's a randomized free living crossover. So they have people try the dairy, then, you know, the high dairy, which I believe is four cups a day, and then a low dairy setting, which was, I think, less than two servings a day. And then after a while, you cross them over. Everybody's doing free living, you know, so it's not all in a lab. It's not so tightly controlled. It's not going to be real world. Um, 23 healthy subjects. Uh, they did the, it, you know, it took them 12 months to do a whole year to do the crossover. Um, Bottom line here, uh, the high dairy consumption improved plasma insulin, dropping at 9%. So now you know dairy is insulinogenic. It will actually boost insulin acutely. But the point here is uh, it, uh, it reduced insulin resistance, so therefore your body needs to make less insulin you know, when you want it to be low. Because you don't want super yeah. high insulin all the time. That's fattening, for lack of a better word. So the whole idea was that the dairy actually chronically – reduced all that insulin, uh, you know, when they estimated the insulin resistance and everything. So it suggests that high dairy consumption, four servings a day, may actually improve insulin resistance. It's not going to negatively impact your body weight, you know, make you fat or this or that. I know some of the um, paleo peel might not like a study like that with the dairy, but, you know, the proteins are so good, it looks like it's actually going to help with insulin resistance. And if you're a middle-aged guy, or you've noticed that you know it's harder to control your body fat in your midsection and that sort of thing. That happens in middle age, and this would be one of the things that would help address that. Four servings of dairy a day. So um, I thought. Yeah, that I think cool. dairy wrongly gets poo-pooed too much. I mean, it's just there's so much good about. There it. is. I actually had a student a couple of years ago say, "Who? Why would anybody drink cow's milk?" You know. And I'm like, listen, I understand. I know where you're going with that. We're the only species that drinks the milk of another species, blah, blah, blah. I said, but why? Loads of potassium, super high-quality proteins, casein and whey. You know, studies like this that show better insulin function in your body, which can be nothing but good for, you know, muscle mass and reduced body fat. So there's a lot of great things, like you said. Um, Vitamins, minerals, it's just, it's good stuff. It's very nutrient. It's funny that that whole species thing, I saw a great picture online the other day that somebody put up, and somebody's uh, herding dog from their dairy farm was actually under one of their milking cows drinking off of it. And it said, oh, so we're the only ones that drink from another species? (laughs) Like, That's right. So, well, and uh, you know, the fat calories, it, it, you know, there's some, yes, it's lactose and not everybody's good at digesting that, but you know, it's like any other food. There's going to be certain pros and cons, but let's not, let's not go so overboard that we're like, why would anybody drink that? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, heck, if you could, if you have the ability to get raw milk and stuff like that, go for it too. I mean, it could be even better. Yeah. You know, I mean, the studies go both ways there. And it's uh, definitely, what is it, CLA, dairy's high in CLA, I think it was. Go, and, yeah. There's definitely the raw milk zealots out there. And as long as you can get it fresh, I mean, my mom grew yeah. up on raw milk you know, on a farm. Yeah. So, no. uh, okay. So that's plenty of news. That's a little bit of science news, some listener uh, input. And let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll have some gym talk. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, 
Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for 69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the 99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's gonna drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180 day rentals and one year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, and we're back. And like Lonnie said, we're going to do some, a, a bit of gym talk, just kind of bring things back in in the gym and what we're doing, what, you know, with me, what my lifters are doing, this and that. Um, right now, as you guys all know, we're, we're coming off a meet, um, all of us, and even mine. I did a little test meet in here uh, the week after everybody else had their meet. So we're in kind of a volume stage um, for powerlifters, which we've talked about before. It's kind of like our off-season is – a bodybuilder's end season type of thing. Yeah. It's when we lean out a little bit and we do a lot more reps and, you know, we let our aching tendons and stuff heal up from, you know, we're working with 50, 60, 70% loads instead of 80s and 90s. Well, you just mentioned about how, you know, a lot of soft tissues, you're talking about like, you know, things like tendon and cartilage and these sorts of things, yeah. joint capsules, they're not going to respond at exactly the same rate as muscle tissue. Yeah, so it's good I to mean, have some conditioning. All, for sure. And it's that time of year where you know, we get a little conditioning in and, we start working weak points a lot more. It's 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 hard to address a weak point when you're getting close to a meet, and you know our number one worry is to be able to do a one rep squat, do a one rep bench, do a one rep deadlift. You know, right? And we can't add in all that volume for, for those weak points. So it's that time of year. Um, <clears throat> I'm still consistently training three days a week. I've just found with my life, and I don't know, it could be age and strength levels, even that three days a week's enough. Um, but I'm also messing around a little bit like Lonnie is with a little more frequency thing on, on my shoulder. Um, so I'm going in almost every day and just doing light, light reps and lots of reps with overhead press. I find it hard like to do that. Do you find that hard? It's hard, but I'm luckily, I'm in the gym so much where I'm coaching people, it's easy for me to pick up a oh, dumbbell. Just kind of fool around between sets. And just press overhead a bunch of times while I'm watching their lifts. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes it easier on me. But, yeah, it's definitely not my usual, and that's what killed me from the frequency training before. I can't do it as a training program That is because so, I always start yes. picking up heavier weight. Uh, that, I couldn't agree more. That is exactly what I'm dealing with with the, the four times a week with the whole body stuff. It's I'm yes. afraid it's going to kill me, which is why I've said, listen, Lowry, get, get through May. You know, Get through the yes. end of May, and then you can go back to some – because to me, and it's because I grew up like this, I know Rob was sort of ripping on how the body part splits that bodybuilders have popularized since the 80s. Yeah. They've infected too much of the fitness uh, world. Uh, and I would agree with that on uh, largely. Um, but for me, it, 
that is motivating. When I could say, yeah. I am going to ruin my chest yes. and arms today. I'm going to get a huge pump. I'm going to enjoy it. And with my whole, with the whole body stuff, and again, no offense to Chad, but I have a much harder time doing that. Yeah. Because like, no, and I agree. And the I, weights I, are little, you know, I'm, you don't spend a, a lot of time. I'm not spending a whole hour on something on one mm-hmm. part. It, the focus goes away. I don't. It does. It's hard for me to get excited if I know, well, oh, Phil, you're going to go in and you're only going to touch 60%. It's real hard to get excited Woo-hoo. about and not even, <laughs> not even push that 60% to the point I'm, you know, ready to poop myself. You know, if it was that, if it was at least that, I'd be fine. So, I, you know, I tried the frequency thing, and it's not for me. I'm not saying it's a bad training protocol. It's bad for certain people. And for me, it was always it was bad for me because I'd always, well, I'm going to push this a little further. And then I have to do it the next day, and so I'm wrecked. So I do it the next day, and now I'm more wrecked. And then I just stacking that on top of each other. I just had to be honest with myself. I'm more of a, you know, less frequent go in there and kill it type of guy. Well, and I'll tell you, uh, and I feel like that too. Um, yeah. Like I said, the, it's hard to take the focus away. My focus is my whole body with wussy weights. Oh, man. Yes. Exactly. I mean, it, you can't tell me that that's better for us going frequent when we just don't enjoy it. <laughs> you no, know, that's right. Well, and, I think we're going to go in and be more more productive doing something you enjoy. I'm really doing this as a proof of concept thing partly because, A, yeah. I do feel like it's ideal, and I'm going to throw this out for anybody who is, um, you know, if you're a, whether you're a beginner or you've been away from it for a while, or if you are middle aged and your recovery is a little bit limited. Because I do feel that. I hate to admit it, but I do feel that. Yeah. I mean, if I ruin myself, you know, I really kind of shut down the next day. And yeah. so I think when you're in your 20s, you can be much more abusive. I know you were, I was, Rob was. We all did the abusive thing, and maybe there's some benefit from that. I know you feel that there is, and I think that's probably true. Um, but having said that, if you have been away for a while, give yourself six weeks. I'm actually, like health-wise, appreciating this. You know, yes. uh, I'm not oh, I'm, psychologically. It's very meh to me, and I'm doing yeah. just what you said, Phil. I'm only in week four of doing this. And I'm already creeping up. Like I shouldn't be grabbing the eighty and hundred pound dumbbells. And I'm like, well, yeah. I just did it. I just did a light set. I'll just do low rep. I'll just do a. I'll sneak in just a few. It's it's kind yeah. of embarrassing. I can't I can't stay away from something that's a little bit more tension related. You know. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's where I kind of I'll purposely um I give myself a rep. Like right now we're in a. An, an area where we're working a lot of 60, 70 percent, a lot of reps. Mm-hmm. I still work myself up to one, a single at 80 percent. Okay, yeah. And it keeps me, it's, it's not going to kill me. You know, 80 percent for one isn't bad, but I get to feel a little weight, and then we drop down and do do the other one. I work. think that's smart. If, um, if you limit it, 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 you could get away with it. Yeah, you know? and it it appeases my mind that way. And so, you know, that's what we got going on. That's what I got going on. And like you said, I, I physically I feel real good. Yeah. Um, and I'm in that rep part where I'm, you know, I just came off three months straight of not doing more than a triple, and I'm hitting sets of ten squats. Oh my goodness! Oh. I was walking funny for four days after squat day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it'll make you appreciate that a bit. And really, I mean, like you said, the the main thing I noticed in training was the conditioning level. Doing a set of ten, it was like, oh, <sighs> you know, and I know it'll get better over the weeks. This was my first week at it, so right, yeah. Um, you know, it, the weight didn't feel heavy. But it was like I hit set it. Rep number eight, and I'm like, ooh, I can't breathe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's hard in a very but, different way, you know. It is. It is. It's not that pushing hard. It's like, oh, keep going, keep breathing. Yeah. Um, but, and we're just not built know, for that. that. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, you know, I mean, we're we're just, I'm letting everybody heal up. We're trying to get, you know, I've got a lot of athletes that are going to go up a weight class, stuff like that. And um, one of the Iron Radio listeners is actually here right now. He drove up. Wow. Um, Gregor. Off the site, he posts a lot on there, off the Facebook page. And so he's up here deadlifting today. Um, yeah, we're, we're having some fun, getting some spring conditioning in. Most of my athletes, a few of them have meets in August. The rest of us are in October, so we're a ways out. Um, hey, on, you know, uh, let me ask you about the nutrition then. You said they're trying to go up a weight class with the hypertrophy uh-huh. training and stuff. Are they? Yeah. Um, are you guys having some wild, like, batches of cookies coming out like when i was out oh there. yeah we got like seven batches of cookies out there right now i got about seven of them sitting next so to me good. um <laughs> so yeah we're in that time and it's it's neat um when you get around athletes it's like everybody else this time of year is you know not that i don't deal with people doing other things but um you know it's we're doing the opposite everybody else is it's oh it's it's spring we got to cut down for beach season this and that and i've got men and women coming in and say i'm gonna put on 20 more pounds 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, it can be do the opposite at certain times. It's interesting, Phil, to hear you say that they're doing more volume and then they're upping the calories on purpose. Because, you know, normally, oh. like you said, it's sort of the opposite. At the time that people try to lighten the loads a little in tone or do whatever, they're cutting calories. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't think people, when people say, I don't understand how powerlifters keep going up a class and, it's because you're doing something nobody else does. You know, you're yeah. you're increasing the the um the volume, but you're overeating to more than compensate for it. Yeah, and that never made sense to me. And I know it, you agree. It's I don't I never got the okay. It's time to cut, so I'm gonna do a bunch of volume. You don't have the freaking calories for it. Right. You know, if anything's gonna do a bunch of tissue damage, it's the volume. I can go in and squat, you know, even a hundred percent for a single. And it doesn't do that much right. muscular damage. Right on. There's not a big potentiator for growth there. Exactly. Um, yep. It's the reps, you know, so that just never made sense to me. From an academic uh, perspective, even the NSCA, National Strength Conditioning Association, their initial phase, volume phase, is actually called mm-hmm. the hypertrophy slash endurance phase. Yeah. Um, but it's only, and it depends on how much you're eating, what, which one it is. You know what yeah. I mean? If you're just focusing on volume to increase your like strength endurance or whatever you know maybe you keep the calories the same but if it's a hypertrophy yeah. phase you're overeating at the same time mm-hmm. you know so it yeah it, it's uh academically recognized it is a time to grow sure it is for sure and then you know, I don't know i'm doing some neat stuff my wife's been suffering some knee knee pains mm-hmm. um she was an ultra marathon runner so her knees are pretty beat up and we had about three weeks there where it's just knees were hurting knees are popping so i, I brought back the old uh we're doing some tempo training, which nobody's done in my gym for a while. And so she's doing those squats where it's like three seconds down, three seconds up. And, uh, oh, hating it, but loving it at the same time. So the joints, <laughs> it, it, the joints are uh, handling that okay then? Oh, yeah. And they're, they're, her knees are feeling great. Now. Okay. You know, you don't get that, you know, the bounce in the hole and stuff. That yes. Big pressure all of a sudden on your knees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just trying to get her tendons to heal up a bit and things like that. And her, her muscles are lighting on fire. Any so. any soft tissue stuff, like uh, somebody to work on the knees? or? Yeah, yeah. We have, I'm lucky now we have a soft tissue therapist here. So I brought in another. We have another coach now. And his wife's a soft tissue therapist. Oh, nice. So we're, we're moving up in the world, man. So. Full featured establishment. Exactly, exactly, and uh, so it, it's it's fun time. So, yeah, I'm going to get some more work done on my shoulder. But, yeah, the reason I'm doing that frequency training thing is to finally, you know, I've tried everything else on this shoulder, and I figured, hey, what's it going to hurt? You know, if I can build a bunch of meat around that shoulder and try and tighten things up, um, it's going to help because my benching's coming along great. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I hit that easy 365 in my test and didn't go any higher than that. That's just good. I mean, I know because I didn't want to. For a power lifter your uh, size, that's probably more medium. But I think that's yeah. I think that sounds pretty big. <laughs> you know, it's not bad. And I hit two seventy five for twelve um, this week, so with no no pain at all, which was nice. Um, and I don't know. We'll see next week. I, uh, right now, I would attribute it to the overhead press stuff. That's the only thing I've changed yeah. is that light light volume work daily. Yeah. Um, but just like your study, you know, I can't claim. It, it's the end. I'll be off one week. So. Right. Well, I'll tell you, I'm in a similar situation. Being the fourth week of the high frequency stuff, I don't really feel any loss of mass. I mean, yeah. um, like Chad was saying, I mean, there's some truth to what he was saying, of course, that, you know, you are turning on certain growth factors. You do get the protein synthesis on some level. Uh, I've been doing two sets. So what I'll do is I'll go do like, um, you know, I'll do a little bit of light uphill, like warm up on the treadmill and then mm-hmm. I'll just do two sets. I'll do like I'll just go through, you know, basically the you know the more core central stuff first, like legs, yeah. chest, back, you know, and doing all uh, mixing it up. But you know, dumbbell work, like you know, sixties or eighty pound dumbbells. But again, like you were saying, not doing lots, just one or two sets mm-hmm. of you know five to eight reps. Maybe I'll drop the load way down and I'll do a, a set of you know curls with a standing barbell curls with. Just the bar for 20, 25 yeah. reps, I'll tell you, you want to burn yeah. for there. Oh, yeah. Um, and that sort of thing. And then just eventually finish up with calves and that kind of sort of, you know, hanging, uh, like, knee raises and leg raises and stuff. And I don't know. I think I'm at the point now where I don't think there's really any atrophy. And that makes me pretty happy. Yeah, for sure. I'm not purposely trying to eat a ton right now to, you know, gain i'm just sort of again sort of proof of concept and again it's just me i can't apply this to anybody else but it'd be interesting to see what does happen by the end of may and you know if my body weight stays around 215 and i I lean down a little and my joints feel great then it served its purpose 
mm-hmm. you know, um, again, I, I know Chad's suggesting there's going to be some pretty significant hypertrophy. Well, we'll see. I don't know. It, I, my guess is in week four, I might actually see some. I, I'll be surprised yeah. at that, but it's because what I was doing before, I was so far in left field, like you you were saying before, mm-hmm. is I like once a week, you know, chest and yeah. arms annihilate them, you know, back and shoulders and then legs. That was always, that's my favorite split for several reasons. Um, yeah. But the point is, it's a body part gets stimulated once a week. And right now, things are getting, you know, protein synthesis response three, four times a week. Yes. Uh, and that's got to add up to something, I would think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, if you look at it in the big picture, maybe the muscle damage done in a good way is adds up to the same or more than if you were to annihilate them one day. I, I don't know. I know. See, uh, I've thought about that, too. Maybe, right, the protein synthetic response, uh, you know, you're right. It surges so much with the eccentric work or the real heavy work, you know, the decimate and recover model. I'm not – I would really want to see a comparison, you know, where you take a group yeah. of 20 guys and you have some of the guys do four times a week with 60%, and then you take the other guys that do the powerlifter bodybuilder model once a week and annihilate, you know. Um, do some biopsies and see what you yeah, got going on. Yeah, see what, what, what's going on there. But again, you oh, know, just a little self thing. I think that's interesting. And I'll tell you, um, I'm actually on Thursdays. Every Thursday, again, each of these weeks, I've added in some um, pulse fasting. You know, where basically I just mix up a giant jug of whey protein and leucine and some, um, mm-hmm. you know, some type of mild stimulant. Um, I don't, I don't really have anything but the liquid on Thursdays. Um, yeah. And I'll sp- every two hours or so, I'll I'll drink, you know, about a coffee cup worth of this stuff. It, it only comes out to like 16 grams of protein, I think, and a couple of grams of leucine. But the whole idea is trickle in enough of that to preserve muscle and then just break out of this constant insulin environment. Because I do think as lifters, really anybody in the West, we live in this high-carb, high-insulin state yeah. all the time. And I just want to break that chain a little bit. So No, I agree, and I, it's the same with training. I mean, the last time I did my cut, I joke, and I say it's my biannual cut because it seems like I end up doing it about every two years <laughs> for a few months. Um, that worked well for me. It was the first time I experimented with that, and I had a day each week where I did pretty much what you're doing. And it's not that horrible. I never, I don't know, I'm not a big believer in a full-on fast, but I just had a, a milk jug full of diluted protein. That's it. And... uh it wasn't that horrible. No, it, and I, you know, my only time is in the so. evening, and I think a lot of people would agree. Oh God, yeah, my appetite's way worse. That's very typical. Yeah. There's even something yeah. in the DSM called uh, nighttime binge eating disorder, or mm-hmm. something like that. It's something related to that, and um, it's because people get so hungry at night. And I'll tell you the way I deal with that is I break the rule a little. Come five o'clock and seven o'clock, I'll make myself a couple big, um, well, not big, medium plates of uh, egg beaters. Because gotcha. it's you know it's semi solid, I don't see yeah. it as that different from from the dairy liquid, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it helps it's... me behaviorally deal with it without suffering. Yeah, you know? <clears throat> yeah, no, yeah, and I could see that. It's it, you know it wasn't that bad. I did it worked well for me. I mean, I did it, and I decided I'll go ahead and lift at two forty two in that one because I had never hit a seven hundred deadlift at two forty two, and I was able to come in and do that. So I mean, I can't say I lost a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I did this when I competed last. Now, of course, I was pulling out all stops with hour cardio before breakfast and all that kind of stuff. And and I I got very lean, but um, I don't want to do too much of that. I don't want to add all this in. You know what I mean? This is more like a realistic lifestyle thing. Uh, I'll do it for maybe 12 weeks in a row, and I'll see, you know, between the high-frequency lifts, you know, whole body, stimulate every muscle group four times a week, and then the pulse fasting on Thursdays. Yeah. We'll see if I'm more muscular at the end of the time, and yeah. I'll report on it and let listeners know what if it works. And I, that's a good point. I've, the, the older I get, the more and more I find myself leaning towards doing, trying things that it's like I could live with doing this if I really like it. Well, this is disappointing. Okay, so that's going to be about it. There was a technical glitch, and we lost just the last minute or two of the conversation, but no worries. We're going to see everybody next week and um, have some more cool guests and gym talk. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters 
the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state of the art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the liter literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single-digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.